This morning I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and make your way to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 16. We were in the book of Proverbs a few weeks back, uh, dealing with the purposes of Proverbs. But now in Proverbs chapter number 16, we're in, in, an, in an entirely different area of Proverbs, a different topic uh, as it relates to the book of Proverbs. And I trust one that would uh, cause us to be um, engaged and inquisitive as to what the Word of God has to say about our topic this morning. Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 20, and basically it's going to be the last portion of verse number 20. The last portion of Proverbs 16 and verse number 20. Notice here in Proverbs 16 and verse number 20, the Bible reads, He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good. And whoso trusteth in the Lord happy is he. The title of the message this morning is True Happiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we could spend in your house today. We rejoice in you and who you are. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins that we have through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to approach your word today with an open mind. I know that so much of the world's philosophy Uh, is geared towards obtaining happiness at any cost. We often hear about how we are supposed to pursue happiness, and Lord, these are usually ungodly, unbiblical principles that uh, that we're instructed on. But today, Lord, help us to seek to find out what you say in your word. And Lord, as in all things, help us to lead lives that are pleasing in your sight, and especially as it relates to this topic of true happiness. Lord, I pray that We as your people would be happy and find true happiness, but I pray that we would do so in accordance with your word and your guidance. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for who you are. Meet with us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. True happiness. The happiness report was a survey that was conducted in June of this year. Consumers and business leaders from 14 different countries were asked, questions about happiness. And here's what the survey revealed. 80% of those surveyed are prioritizing health in order to achieve happiness. 79% are prioritizing personal connections to achieve happiness. And 53% uh, are looking to experience happiness through their own life's experiences. More than half of them, or 53% to be exact, wish money could buy happiness. 78% were willing to pay a monetary premium for true happiness. People have always searched for happiness and true happiness. In fact, the You know, the the linchpin of this nation, the Declaration of Independence, uh, mentions to us an inalienable right that we have the inalienable right that's given to us from, from God of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so, people have always, always through all ages, searched for happiness. They have employed different methods and means to achieve happiness. Blaise Pascal, the 
French mathematician that lived in the 1600s famously wrote, All men have happiness as their object. There are no exceptions. However different the means they employ, they aim at the same end. And so, even back in the 1600s, if you think about all that was going on in the world at that time, man's pursuit chiefly was happiness. Now, it is not my intent this morning to speak long and uh, very, very harshly about the pursuit of happiness, although I will make some comments as to how we can uh, reprioritize in our lives so that the pursuit of happiness is not the main thing that we're seeking after, but I trust that through our study this morning you'll get that from the message. Now, the Bible has much to say about true happiness. This is a complex subject, is it not? But if we could boil true happiness down to one essential truth, that truth is contained in our text verse. It is contained in Proverbs 16 and verse number 20, where the Bible reads, And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. This text verse, this portion of our text verse, focuses on this one critical element to true happiness, and that will be our focus this morning, true happiness. Our text raises three questions, three questions about true happiness. The first question is this, what does it mean to be happy? The second question, how then can I obtain true happiness? And then thirdly, have I considered the lives of prominent Bible characters as it relates to true happiness? These are three questions that I derive from our text, and I believe that they should hold our attention this morning. We're talking about true happiness. Whoso trusteth in the Lord, Happy is he. Notice the first question that I believe our text raises uh, as it relates to true happiness. What does it mean to be happy? This is the age-old question, is it not? How do you define happiness? We could go around the room this morning and get different definitions for happiness. We could pull people just walking down the street and get all sorts of different definitions of happiness. But what does it mean to be happy? Well, first of all, we have to understand that there are definite misperceptions about happiness. Definite misperceptions about happiness. We tend to associate external conditions and our outward countenance as indicators of happiness. Do we not do that? I mean, if I were to say to you this morning, hey, guess what? Somebody robbed your house and you got stole your identity and they took all your money, uh, how happy would you be? Likewise, if you came in this morning and and you know and you you came in the building and I greeted you and said, Hey, how you doing? He said, Oh, I'm doing okay. Would you consider that that person would be happy? 
See, we tend to evaluate and associate happiness with external conditions and outward countenances, and we look at those as indicators of true happiness. Now, as you know, our family took a Disney trip recently in September, and as part of that trip, one of our visits to the Magic Kingdom, uh, all of the grandkids dressed up as the seven dwarfs, right? Snow White and the seven dwarfs. Any guess as to who was happy? Well, it was Xavier. Xavier was happy. Now, according to Disney, happy, one of the seven dwarfs, gets his name from his jovial and optimistic demeanor. He is most often seen with a cheery smile. He's happy. After all, if you are happy, you will have a jovial and optimistic demeanor, and you will always have a cheery smile. That's what happiness is. In fact, when Walt Disney introduced happy, I believe if I'm correct, Snow White and the Seven Doors was introduced back in the 1930s. When Walt Disney introduced the character happy, he said, and this is happy here with his beaming smile. And so we associate happiness with uh, a beaming smile and a jovial and optimistic demeanor. Perhaps we somehow view happiness in the wrong light. We view happiness as characterized by a constant state of bliss marked by a perpetual beaming smile. If you see somebody walking down the street and they've got a big old grin and they look like they got a big smile on their face, tell me if I'm wrong, but are you not going to say, well, that's a happy person? We generally make that conclusion. We draw that conclusion. But I want us to understand that we can have definite misperceptions as it relates to happiness. I submit to you this morning that true happiness is not evaluated by whether or not you have a uh, perpetual beaming smile on your face brought about as a constant state of bliss. That might work in Disney. It doesn't work in real life. It is a definite misperception as to what happiness is. And so we need to move a little bit further in our study and we consider the definition of the word happy as it is related in Proverbs 16 and verse number 20. Notice again in Proverbs 16 and verse 20, the Bible says, And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. The word happy in the uh, Hebrew appears 45 times in the Old Testament. 18 of those times it is literally translated happy, and it literally means how happy with an exclamation point. In other words, this person's not only happy, they're really happy. How happy, right? But 27 times it is, it is translated in our English Bible and it carries this definition of blessed. Or if you want to pronounce it blessed, right? I, we're not going to bicker about that. Uh, blessed or blessed. Can you be blessed or blessed without having a perpetual beaming smile on your face and being in a constant state of bliss? In fact, I would submit to you that somebody who's on drugs might have a perpetual beaming smile on their face and be in a constant state of bliss, and they might be happy at that moment, but they're not happy people. Otherwise, they wouldn't be, have the 
feel the need to take drugs to help them be happy. And so we're talking about being blessed. We're talking about blessed in the sight of the Lord. Webster's 1828 Dictionary uh, defines happy as being prosperous in worldly affairs, enjoying spiritual happiness and favor uh, and the favor of God, and enjoying heavenly enjoyment. Now I want to focus on those last few definitions that Webster employs. Enjoying spiritual happiness in the favor of God. Enjoying heavenly enjoyment. I would submit to you this morning that when we talk about happiness and finding true happiness in life, this is really what we are aiming for. We are aiming for the enjoyment of spiritual happiness in the light of God and and enjoying the favor of God and enjoying heavenly enjoyment. Now we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the message. And so, what does it mean to be happy? We have definite misperceptions about happiness. We look at the definition of the word happy. But then lastly, and I believe this is very important, we have to understand that we all have differences in temperament. We all have differences in temperament. Now the word temperament literally means the combination of our physical, mental, and emotional traits. It deals with our natural predispositions. There are some people, and forgive me, but I'm just going to be blunt this morning. There are some people uh, that that (laughs) you might look at them and say, man, that's stupid. The way you act is stupid. In other words, suppose that you opened your, your front door to leave in the morning, and on your front door there was a rattlesnake on your front porch. What would be your natural predisposition to that? You would scream. I won't say how you would scream. I'd probably offend somebody. But you would scream, you know, in such a way to where it really wouldn't probably be very uh, macho. Okay. Um, I know I would. And yet, you know, there are other people that have a natural predisposition that they would open that door and say, Wow, man, look at that snake. I got to investigate this snake. I got to, you know, you're the Steve Irwins of the world, you know. Uh, I got I to gotta find out all I can. And, and there would be other people that say, well, look at the beauty of that creature. I have to make sure that that creature is not harmed. Uh, isn't that, don't you find that odd? But I find it odd because my natural predisposition is to hate snakes, okay? So we have different temperaments. We are, I hate to say it, wired differently and so when we're talking about true happiness you and I have to understand the definition of true happiness that it relates to our relationship with God and our enjoyment of God and things future and we also have to understand that we cannot evaluate whether somebody is happy or not by the beaming perpetual smile on their face we are wired differently now there are generally four accepted different descriptions of a person's temperament. Okay, In, in other words, let, let me rephrase that. Instead of a person's temperament, we all have different temperaments, and there are generally four different descriptions of temperaments that a person might have. Okay, The first is sanguine. Sanguine. And this literally means cheerfully optimistic. A person with a sanguine personality is lively, optimistic, buoyant, and carefree, 
They are pleasure-seeking in this life. We all know the sanguines. They're the person that comes to work in the morning when you haven't had your second or third cup of coffee and you're still crabby because you got to be at work. And then the person that bounds through the, the door bouncing and like, Hey, good morning, everybody. Isn't it a great day to be at work today? Woo! There are people with that type of personality. Okay? And I know that you probably want to strangle them unless you are them. Okay? There's sanguine personalities. Oh, well, that person has to be happy. Look at their personality. Not necessarily so. We have different temperaments. Then there's the phlegmatic. Phlegmatic. P H L E G M A T I C. Phlegmatic. These people are not easily excited to action or to a display of emotion. They are people persons, but they seek interpersonal harmony and close relationships. They are loyal almost to a fault, and they love to help others. That's, that's their personality. That's their temperament. Then there's the choleric. The choleric, C-H-O-L-E-R-I-C. <laughs> I can't help but think of people, including myself, uh, when I read through some of these descriptions of temperaments. The choleric is extremely irritable or easily angered. These people are goal-oriented. They're very savvy, analytical, logical. They're extremely practical and straightforward. They aren't particularly friendly, and they tend to be loners. Can a choleric person be happy? Can a choleric Christian with that type of personality be happy? Well, I believe, of course, the answer is yes. You don't have to be a sanguine to be happy. You can be a phlegmatic and be happy. You can be choleric and happy. And then how about this one? The melancholic. The melancholic. This person is gloomy and prone to depression. This person loves traditions, loves their family and friends. They do not look to novelty ideas or adventure. You see this person, and this person is not the person that is going to bound into the workplace first thing in the morning and, and, and give you a rousing motivation for the day. That is not the melancholic. But can the melancholic be happy. Can the melancholic experience true happiness? Well, I'm going to I'm going to let you know that there were bible characters that we're going to look at here in just a little bit that I believe in fact were melancholic. And I believe that of course they were happy. They were happy in this life. They experienced true happiness. And so so the first question that is posed here in in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 20, we said our text raises three questions about true happiness. This first question is foundational. It is elementary to uh, moving on with the rest of the message. It is, what does it mean to be happy? We are enjoying a spiritual happiness in the favor of God. We are enjoying heavenly enjoyment. And guess what? We have different temperaments. And you might not necessarily be the sanguine person. You might be the melancholic person. But you can still experience and enjoy true happiness. And so we've looked at the first question. Now we want to go to the next step, if you will, and consider the second question. 
How then can I obtain true happiness? And I want you to note here that it is quite obvious and apparent according to our text verse. Our text verse very emphatically states, Whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. So here is, here is a, 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 an opportunity for all of you to start your own uh, therapy practice your own counseling practice. People come to you with all these these uh, mysteries of life and all these deep questions, and they say, "Oh, oh, Jim, oh, Tina, Lauren, I just I just want to be happy. How can I be happy?" Well, that's easy. Trust in the Lord, and then you get your two hundred fifty dollars that you just charge them for that, or whatever the going rate is, and you're done. And how many can you fit in per day? You know, so. So it's simple, right? I mean, like there's, we, could, we close our Bibles and go home. Whoso trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Well, you know what? Don't you wish it were that simple? Hey, brother, I'm really struggling, man. I, I just don't seem to be finding any, any oomph in my life. Well, you've got to trust in the Lord and you'll be happy. Give me 50 bucks for that guidance and counsel. We're done. Go home. You know, it's, it's, it's over. But life isn't that simple, is it? And, and really, though it is quite obvious that the answer is that we're to trust in the Lord, that is, that is how we obtain true happiness, the, the next question that ought to uh, enter into our minds if we're thinking people and engaged in, in, in an analysis of Scripture should be this. But, but what does that entail? What does, what does trusting in the Lord entail? What is it? that Solomon is referring to here that if, I, if, if I'm trusted in the Lord, happy is that person that trusts in the Lord. Well, I believe that, first of all, and we're talking about how we can obtain true happiness and how this trust in the Lord will lead us to true happiness. The Bible says in verse 20, Whoso trusted in the Lord, happy is he. I, I believe, first of all, that, that we obtain true happiness in that it begins with the knowledge that we belong to the Lord. It begins with the knowledge that we belong to the Lord. I want you to think about your life before the Lord saved you. How purposeful were you in your life? You ever hear somebody say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out why I'm here. What, what is the purpose of life? Why am I here on this earth? It begins with the knowledge that we belong to the Lord. Now, I want you to tie these thoughts together this morning. And I'm going to go through a number of different verses, and you can turn to those verses if you like, or you can just listen to me read them. But we've got a lot to go through this morning. I want you to, I want you to notice what Psalm 144 says as it relates to and sheds guidance on how we can obtain true happiness it begins with the knowledge that we belong to the Lord. Listen to Psalm 144 and verse number 15. Happy is the people that is in such a case. And by the way, the verses that precede that is talking about the blessings of the Lord. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Happy are we when we 
have a knowledge that we belong to God. That God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and pay for our sins and shed His blood that our sins might be paid for on the cross and that we could be right with God and that He literally, according to what the Bible says, He purchased us with the blood of Christ. We are now His possession. We belong to Him. You see, that is the first step to true happiness. You cannot trust in the Lord if you do not understand and have knowledge that you belong to the Lord. Might I say this, uh, you better first of all belong to the Lord. We're talking to Christians this morning. But somebody that would, that, that would try to pursue happiness without involving the Lord in their life, it is, a, it is a failing proposition. It is something that will never be uh, achieved here in this life. How many people try to find true happiness in all of the vices of this life? And you name, I don't want to go through and name them this morning, but how many people try to find happiness in all that this world can offer? And John wrote about that in the book of 1 John, that all that is in the world, all the lusts and the pride and so forth, and man tries to achieve happiness. Solomon, who wrote this very verse, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he tried to find happiness through the pursuit of, of all sorts of different products and, and, and wealth and profit and fame and, and, and you name it. And he sought to find happiness that way and he could not find it. Isaac Watts, the beloved hymn writer, wrote, Do not be deceived. Happiness and enjoyment do not lie in wicked ways. And so to the person that would hear this message and not be saved by the grace of God, I say to you, that it begins with knowing God, and then, of course, knowledge that we belong to the Lord. We understand when we belong to the Lord. Now think about this. When we belong to the Lord, we understand that God is our God, and that He is for us. And if God be for us, who then can be against us? And we understand that God is our God, and He is for us, and He will help us. If that does not bring true happiness, I don't know what will bring you true happiness. So we begin with the, 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 how do we obtain true happiness? It begins with the knowledge that we belong to the Lord. We understand that God is our God. He is for us and He will help us. Psalms 146 and verse number 5. Psalm 146 and verse number 5 reads, Happy is He that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And so, we know God. We belong to God. We know that God will help us. Beloved, that will, will serve to bring true happiness into our lives. David Brainerd, who was a uh, famous Presbyterian missionary in the 1700s, was a missionary to the Native Americans and was over in the Delaware and so forth. Um, he wrote, If you hope... For happiness in the world. Hope for it from God and not from the world. If you, if you really want to be happy in this life, then, then don't try to achieve happiness through all the vices that this world can offer. Don't think that your happiness is somehow conveyed by your outward or your uh, external circumstances and your outward countenance. None of those things are indicators of true happiness. Seek your happiness from God. How can I obtain true happiness? What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Happy is the man 
that trusteth in the Lord. Whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. What does that mean? Well, it begins with knowledge that we belong to the Lord. And then secondly, because we belong to the Lord and He is our God, we ought to reverence Him as our Heavenly Father. Now, there would be some people that perhaps would listen to this message this morning and say, well, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not real. This, 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 in, in the vernacular of today, this is not my vibe. I thought you were going to talk about some step process that I could go through and I could achieve happiness. And I'll tell you what, if you want that, why don't you go Google Tony Robbins? You know, and he'll have you walking over live coals and so forth, and maybe that'll give you true happiness. Or maybe it'll just give you scalded feet. We're talking about what the Bible says today about true happiness. It begins with the knowledge that we belong to the Lord. And because we belong to Him and He is our God, we reverence Him as our Heavenly Father. Proverbs 28 and verse number 14. Proverbs 28 verse number 14. By the way, everything that I'm mentioning here this morning here as it relates to, the, to how we obtain true happiness, I'm backing it up with Scripture. Not the vain philosophies and traditions of men. Right? So... Proverbs 28, verse number 14 reads, Happy is the man that feareth alway. Happy is the man that feareth alway. But he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Now, what does this verse mean? It is literally dealing with the fear of God or the fear of the Lord, which, is, again, is not some paralyzing terror that we live under, but it is an awe and a reverence and a respect for God as our Heavenly Father. That cannot be separated from true happiness. You cannot be truly happy this morning and say, well, I know I belong to God, but I just don't reverence or fear God the way that I should. You will never be truly happy because He is our God and we belong to Him. We reverence Him as our Heavenly Father. Happy is the man that feareth always, that has a, has a godly reverence unto the Lord. Now, this reverence that we have to God will further serve to our obtainment of true happiness. It does so, first of all, because this reverence will lead us to the obtainment of wisdom. Godly reverence will lead us to the obtainment of wisdom. Proverbs chapter number 3, and I am going to ask you to turn over there with me, in Proverbs chapter number 3, and you notice how each of these, each of these different points build on the other, Right? begins with the knowledge that we belong to the Lord. That's how we obtain true happiness. But then because we belong to Him, we reverence Him as our Heavenly Father. And that reverence leads to our obtainment of wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter number 3, verses 13 through 18. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. You want to be happy? You want to find true happiness? Whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. You belong to God. Happy is that people that has God as their Lord. Happy is the man that feareth God. Happy is that person who obtains wisdom. In Proverbs 3 verse 13, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Let's read further. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof the fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things... Thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, 
and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. Now watch. And happy is everyone that retaineth her. Happy. Now, if I were just to read to you verses 14 through 17, and I were were to say to you that, you know what, I'm going to give you something that's better than silver and gold and rubies, and and, and I'm I'm going to tell you that what I'm going to give you is going to be better than anything that your heart could imagine. Would you not say, wow, you know, if I were to have that, I'd be pretty happy. And it's wisdom. It's wisdom. And so you notice how these build upon each other. You fear God. Because you fear God, that reverence leads you to the obtainment of wisdom. A wise person is by and large going to be a happy person. What is wisdom? It is the proper application of biblical knowledge. Now that reverence leads us to the obtainment of wisdom. And secondly, that reverence that we have for God leads us to the observance of His Word. Not only the obtainment of wisdom, but the observance of His Word. So, so because, because I have knowledge that I belong to God, I have a reverence for God as my Heavenly Father. I fear God. I fear God such that I want to obtain wisdom in the sight of God. And what does that wisdom tell me that I should be doing? observing His Word. How about this? In Proverbs 29, in verse number 18. Proverbs 29, in verse number 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, you could apply this in a civil sense, right? Uh, If you keep the law as it relates to the laws of our land, you'll probably be happy because you're not going to go to jail. You're not going to get arrested. Or you shouldn't, right? You understand what I'm saying. But I believe what's being talked about here is the law of God. Happy is the person that keeps the law of God. See, our obtainment of wisdom leads us to the observance of His Word. Wisdom says, I must find the Word of God and and read the Word of God and study the Word of God and apply the Word of God in my life. That leads to true happiness. There is no true happiness apart from the Word of God and apart from the observance of the Word of God. Brother Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon wrote this as it relates to the happiest of all Christians. He wrote, I believe that the happiest of all Christians and the truest of Christians are those who never dare to doubt God, but take His Word simply as it stands and believe it and ask no questions just feeling assured that if God has said it, it will be so. And so that relates not only to the promises of God, but for the performance of God's Word. How can I obtain true happiness? It begins with the knowledge that we belong to the Lord. Because He is our God and we belong to Him, we reverence Him as our Heavenly Father. And then thirdly, as we reverence Him, as we reverence Him, We rely on Him in life's difficulties. Now what does it mean to rely on? To trust. To trust. As we reverence Him, we rely on Him or we trust Him in life's difficulties. In other words, 
whatever life brings our way, we can trust Him and still be happy. Our happiness is not dictated by external conditions. We, we have the pandemic hit in 2020 and the stock market tanked. If your life was determined, uh, if your happiness was determined by your life's possession of riches, you were probably pretty unhappy at that point. But if not, if you understood that you belong to God and you reverence God, and as you reverence Him, you rely on Him for all of life's problems and difficulties and circumstances, you could still be happy even in the midst of that. Whatever life brings our way, we can trust Him and still be happy. Do you know that that same survey that I mentioned a little bit earlier, the happiness report, it revealed that in the past two years, 45% of people have not uh, experienced happiness in the past two years. In fact, 25% of them said that they didn't think they'd ever be happy again. That is driven by external circumstances. It is all related to the global pandemic. And don't get me wrong, I thought that was a terrible time. But we can still be truly happy in the sight of God, even in the midst of these types of situations. Now, as we reverence Him, we rely on Him in life's difficulties, and we can be truly happy. Notice that we can rely on Him and trust Him in His pruning and purging of our lives. And how does God prune and purge us? Well, one way that we chiefly think of, and that's chastening, divine chastening. Listen to this in Job chapter 5 and verse number 17. In Job chapter 5 and verse number 17, the Bible reads, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrected. Happy is the man whom God corrected. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. And so even in the midst of God disciplining us and correcting us for things that have been improper in our lives, we can still find and experience true happiness. It doesn't mean that we have to walk around with a stupid smile pasted on our face that is not realistic. You know what? We might be a melancholic as we go through the the chastening of the Lord. We might not have a smile on our face. Does that mean you're not happy? No. They're not synonymous. And so we have to understand again what true happiness is. So in that, in that pruning and purging, the Bible says happy is the man whom God corrected. In his pruning and purging. And secondly, in life's general problems, we ought to rely and trust on the Lord. We're talking about how we obtain true happiness What is it to trust in the Lord? It is to rely on Him and reverence Him even in life's difficulties. So we see that we rely and trust on Him as He prunes and purges us. We rely and trust on Him in life's general problems. The book of James gives insight to this. In James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, James writes, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Now stop there. You know the prophets from the Old Testament. How many, and we're going to look at this a little bit uh, uh, later on in the message, but of all the prophets that you can name, how many of them would you describe with a sanguine temperament? 
Do you know any prophet in the scriptures that went around with a constant beaming smile on his face and just, you know, oh, the joy of the Lord? In fact, I think of Jeremiah. What's Jeremiah known as? The weeping prophet. Do you think Jeremiah was a happy guy? I believe he was. I believe he knew the Lord and he was a happy person. And yet we look at the life of Jeremiah and say, well, that wasn't a very happy guy. Oh, beloved. You have a wrong definition and understanding of what true happiness is. Jeremiah was in the will of God, doing what God wanted him to do. Jeremiah was hated by his own countrymen and and deemed to be unpatriotic and a traitor because he told them to submit to the will of God with the Babylonian captivity and they stuck him in a dungeon. Read about what they did to Jeremiah. And he's the weeping pride. He loved his country. He was a patriot. Read the book of Lamentations. And yet, I believe Jeremiah experienced true happiness here on this earth. Maybe not the way you define true happiness, but the way scriptures do. You remember this uh, verse that we're reading here. He says in, in James chapter 5, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. And then what follows in verse 11? In verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. We count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We belong to God. We know God. He's for us. He's pitiful and of tender mercy. And even in the midst of these trials and difficulties, when we endure and persevere, that's when we are truly happy. And by the way, speaking of Job, who's mentioned here, the the patience of Job, You remember what Job himself said. Though he slay me, yet will I what? Trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job 13 and verse 15. So we reverence God and we rely and trust on him in life's difficulties as he prunes and purges us in life's general problems. And then thirdly, in Christian persecution. Specific Christian persecution. Peter, who came to know about persecution, wrote about how that we can still be happy and blessed in the sight of God as we face Christian persecution. I'll just read these two verses to you quickly. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 14. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And then in the next chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 14, Peter wrote, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. You know what? When we are called extremists, because we believe the word of God and we know God, and we're called an extremist because, God forbid, We don't want our little boys and girls to be taught in elementary school that they're not a boy or a girl. They're actually the opposite sex. God forbid that we would want that. God forbid that we would want our our elementary school children to go to a bathroom with the same gender. God forbid that we would want some restrictions so that babies are not murdered all the way up until and after birth. God forbid that we should be such extremists. And of course you realize that you know, I, I'm being facetious. Those are not extreme positions. And yet we're labeled that. And we are, we are called such because we simply want to lead, lead a peaceable life 
and defend those that are unable to defend themselves. And guess what? We are persecuted for that. How do you deal with that? Happy are you. We belong to God. We know God. We know God's Word. It doesn't matter what... what uh, uh, I'll say it. Jelly Belly Pritzkers. It doesn't matter what J.B. Jelly Belly says. He's not my God. God is my God. It doesn't matter what Joe Biden says. And I'll tell you this. It doesn't matter for that matter what Donald Trump says. Or Mitch McConnell. It doesn't matter. We find our we find our instructions in the Word of God. And so in Christian persecution, we can still find true happiness. Do you think that all of those millions of our Baptist forefathers that were slaughtered through the dark ages, burnt at the stake, beheaded, tortured, drowned, do you think that they were unhappy people? I submit to you that they were the very happiest, the very happiest of peoples. Truly happy. And then lastly, as we talk about how can I obtain true happiness, it begins with the knowledge that we belong to the Lord. Because He's our God, we reverence Him as, as our Heavenly Father. And as we reverence Him, we rely on Him and trust in Him in life's difficulties. And that leads us to this, that our understanding of all of the above allows us to live a life of sacrifice. This is, this is where we're going with this. Your life is not about you. You might be called upon to be or do certain things. And the world looks at that and says, well, why is he always so unhappy? He's not unhappy. Jeremiah wasn't unhappy. He's doing what God called him to do. And that means that sometimes... We have to sacrifice for the good of others. When's the last time you sacrificed for anybody? And I'm not talking about your own family. And I don't say that uh, to be rude or mean-spirited this morning. It's a question. You ought to question yourselves. Proverbs 14, verse 21 reads, He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. We ought to learn from that. We ought to receive instruction from that. What was Jesus' example to us? Well, I will give you this. Actually, for, for time's sake, we're, and I, by the way, I did mention that I would be going over this morning and we would be foregoing the afternoon message because of the time, but I don't want to unnecessarily extend the message just for the sake of extending it. And so we're not going to go back and read these verses, but I will read you this one verse. And you tell me if you know where it comes from with the context. In, in John 13 and verse 17, the Lord Jesus said, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Do you know, do you know the context there? Well, let me give it to you. It's immediately after Jesus, after supper, girds himself and washes the disciples' feet. And he says, I'm leaving you an example that as I have done to you, so ye would do to one another. And notice the Lord says, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. It isn't enough for you to say, oh, I believe we should lead sacrificial lives as Christians. It isn't enough for you to know that. Happy are ye if ye do them. What have you done recently? 
by way of sacrifice. Listen, there are people in our society that do some hard things. And they sacrifice for the good of others. And i got to tell you, I can't help but think of the fine police officers and detectives that I work with on a daily basis. These are rough people that maybe you would say, oh, well, well, they don't have a Christian testimony. But they do more than a lot of Christians. They sacrifice for the good of others. They do what they do for the good of others. And we in our Christian circles have gotten so, so coddled today that if you don't exactly do what is best for me and my daughter or me and my son, then I'm up and out of here. Well, you know what? Good riddance. Go! Don't turn back. God says that we are supposed to lead lives that are typified by sacrifice. And you know what? At the end of the day, that's true happiness. Happy are ye if ye do them. John Newton. Oh, what a testimony John Newton had. He wrote this. They are the happiest Christians who have the lowest thoughts of themselves and in whose eyes Jesus is most glorious and precious. Humility. As the Lord exhibited in girding Himself and washing the disciples' feet. What is beneath you? Well, I can't do that. That's beneath me. Man, listen. Could it be that so many people are unhappy today because they only think of themselves? They're only concerned about themselves and what they can get and what they can do. A life of service will lead to true happiness. A life of sacrifice. I believe it's what the Lord calls us to do in this life. In various ways. And in different different abilities that he gives us. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that everybody needs to go out and be a police officer or involved in some other means of pursuing justice. I'm not saying that. But I read to you Proverbs 14, verse number 21. But he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. There are many ways in which we can can lead a life of sacrifice. And I believe that those people in the sight of God experience true happiness. So there's a third question. There's a third question that we get to, and we've kind of danced around this and touched on it already up to this point, but that third question is this. Have I considered lives of prominent Bible characters? When I'm talking about true happiness, have I considered the lives of prominent Bible characters? There are reasons that God gives us the Holy Scriptures that detail and chronicle the lives of great Bible characters and great Christian giants. Romans 15 and verse number 4 reads, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And so literally when we read about these Old Testament saints, they the Holy Scriptures are given for the purpose that we might learn from their experiences. Now I posed this question to you a little bit earlier. When we were looking at James chapter 5 and it talked about the prophets who are an example of suffering affliction and of patience. And I asked you, when you think of the Old Testament prophets, can you think of anybody that would meet the 
popular definition of happiness. Their external circumstances were just all great. In their outward countenance, they always had a beaming smile pasted on their face. Can you think of any Bible character that meets that criteria? I want you to think in the Old Testament, I want you to, then by the way, we're just going to look at a few this morning because I think it's important to what we're talking about. I want you to consider these giants of the faith. I want you to think first of all about Moses. Now, when you think about Moses, I don't want you to picture Charlton Heston in your mind, okay? You know, we all think, oh, Moses, it's Charlton Heston. By the way, Charlton Heston did a great job acting. But Moses was not Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston wasn't Moses, okay? Think about Moses in his life. Did Moses want to go back and lead Israel out of Egypt? God called him to do that. And you know... Moses came up with every excuse not to go. And when he did finally go, how'd that work out for him? He's leading this nation of millions of people and they rebelled against him at every turn. They blamed him for everything that you can think of. Oh, we don't have any food or vegetables like we had while we were slaves. Oh, there's no water here. God brought us out here to kill us. Moses, you're the one that did this. Moses is just following God. And at every turn, Moses is met with opposition. You think Moses was the guy that woke up in the morning and went into the camps doing his, Hey, smile, get up, it's another day. You think that was Moses? And after all that he did for this rebellious people of Israel, the Bible records one mistake that Moses made. One mistake. And he's prevented from finishing the mission. He's prevented from entering the promised land. Turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 20. Look at Numbers chapter 20 and notice what we're talking about this morning. At every turn, Moses was, was, was uh, opposed and vilified. Notice Numbers chapter 20, verses 10 through 12. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. (laughs) I'm sorry, I just find some of this, you know, it's like, well, that's what they deserved. But anyways, he says, And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Wow. Now look, our purpose this morning is not to preach on on what God was doing here with Moses. God was not unjust in this. You have to understand that. But look at it from Moses' perspective. Like, okay, I didn't even want this job. So I come back here and I do this job, and I met with opposition on every side, and and, and these people are, are, man, they're poking me in the chest. They're rebels. And I lose my temper once, 
And remember, Moses is described as the meekest man on the face of the earth at that time. And, and, and I lose my temper once and I don't get to go in the promised land? Do you think that Moses was unhappy? I don't think he was unhappy. In spite of all of that, I believe that Moses was truly happy. Why would God give us a biblical example of a guy like the giant that Moses was and he's an unhappy guy? Now you look at his life and all that I described, you say, that can't be a very happy guy. Look at all the external circumstances. Couldn't have been a guy with the outward countenance of a beaming smile pasted on his face all the time. He probably wasn't very happy. Do you get what I'm driving at? We evaluate happiness in the wrong way. I believe Moses was fulfilling the will of God in his life. And yes, he sinned. And God said there are consequences to sin. You don't smite the rock twice. You, twice, you smote it once. Like I told you. And there are ramifications. So there's Moses. Then how about this guy by the name of Elijah? Elijah couldn't have been very happy. He was bald. <laughs> okay, that's a joke, by the way. Right? Remember when the kids are saying, "Go up, thou bald man! Go up, thou..." But you know, Moses was take or Elijah was taken up uh, in the whirlwind. Okay, uh, man, you want to talk about a rough guy? Here's Elijah. Elijah is serving God, and he goes and he has this great victory on Mount Carmel. And you say, "Well, if we could stop the Bible there, we would say Elijah was a very happy guy." All the prophets of Baal and all the other prophets of the groves, 850 prophets in total, uh, are, are, are slain and God works a great victory. And then what happened right after that? Well, there's old Jezebel. See, now she, she, she's definitely the leader of that family. Ahab is coward somewhere and Jezebel says, you tell Elijah that I'm going to kill him by this time tomorrow. And what's Elijah do? Elijah's like, really, God? I go through all, I do all of that, and now you're going to let this woman kill me? And so Elijah runs for his life. Here it is in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 and 4. 1 Kings 19, verses 3 and 4. And when he saw that, it's talking about her saying that she's going to kill him, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Here's this mighty man of God on the run for his life. He goes out into the middle of the wilderness and sits down and says, God, just go ahead and kill me. Now, would you say that's a happy guy? Oh, Elijah's an unhappy guy. You're conflating two issues. I believe Elijah was a truly happy individual doing the will of God, fulfilling the purpose for which he was put here on this earth. And guess what? It didn't mean that he was running around smiling and high-fiving people all the time. And yet I believe he was truly happy. We get into the New Testament. How about this guy by the name of Paul? You ever think about Paul? What was Paul's temperament or countenance like? Well, let's look at his external circumstances. 
Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verses 8 through 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, and the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. And then turn a couple pages over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verses 22 through 29. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Uh, so am I. Uh, are, they the, uh, are they the seed of Abram? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, or in the ocean, if you will. In journeyings often, or the, the, the sea, rather. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not. What say you? You read the description that Paul gave of his own life. You think, you think, man, with all of Paul that Paul went through, man, he couldn't have been a happy guy. And yet, of all people in the New Testament that we should look at and say we're truly happy, it was the Apostle Paul, saved by the grace of God, went from persecuting God's people and killing Christians to a faithful minister and a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. I submit to you that Paul was a truly happy guy. Yet, our modern way of looking things would not lead us to believe so. And then there's this guy in the New Testament by the name of John the Baptist. You want to talk about a strange guy, okay? I'm speaking humanly and fleshly. His clothes were made out of camel's hair and he had a leather girdle. His meat was locusts and wild honey. He was not your modern Joel Osteen feel-good preacher. In fact, when the masses came to him, he didn't say, oh, I wonder what I should not say to avoid running them off. No, what he said was, oh, generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath of God. Can you imagine you get 50,000 people in some stadium, uh, 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 convention center auditorium that used to be the home of the Houston Rockets basketball team you got 50,000 people there and it's your opportunity to woo them and wow them and you say you bunch of snakes who's warned you but he Osteen doesn't preach about sin so he, he, you would never hear that from him but how about John the Baptist man he must have been a miserable guy in fact could anybody be happy when their meat was locusts and wild honey Okay, and yet, John the Baptist, a rough character, but the forerunner of Christ. 
I say is truly happy. And then last of all, as we think about Bible characters, real people, how about, how about Jesus the Christ? Jesus the Christ. How would you describe Jesus? You ever think about that? You think Jesus went around with a perpetual beaming smile on his face? He didn't have a place to lay his head. And in fact, read with me this account of Jesus' life here on this earth. You know it well. It's found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 53. Isaiah chapter number 53. This is known as the suffering servant passage penned 700 and some odd years before Jesus Christ was ever born. In Isaiah 53, read with this with me this passage and notice the descriptions of Jesus. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now folks, Respectfully, that means that Jesus wasn't going to have movie star characteristics. He was a common man. Common looks. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. We'll stop there. What do you think of Jesus? you think Jesus was a happy person? I believe he was the happiest of happy. Immaculately and perfectly doing the will of his heavenly Father. And yet he's despised and afflicted. A man of griefs and sorrows. And yet he was doing the will of God. It didn't mean that he wasn't a happy person. It didn't mean that, that, that his life was somehow miserable. But the task that he had to bear was not such that he would walk around as though he's got no, no thoughts in the world. Read about his encounter in the garden with his own humanity as he struggled. We studied the murder of Jesus in death. These were heavy burdens that the Lord bore. And yet I believe he was truly happy. Do not make the leap. That because somebody doesn't act the way that you think they should act. That they're miserable and not happy. Doing the will of God. Knowing that you are right with God. That you love God with all your heart. And you reverence Him 
And you want to lead a life of sacrifice. Wow. Is there a better way to true happiness? Trusting in the Lord. Oh, time fails us. But in your own time, go back and read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40, and read about many unnamed Christians who were recorded in the annals of the Word of God, and I believe that they were truly happy, though they were sawn apart, fed to the lions, suffered with the flames of fire. And yet I believe they were truly happy. Do you really believe that all these Christians that we've just gone over were unhappy people? I refuse to believe that. And yet they don't fit our modern expectation of happiness. External circumstances all hunky-dory. Their outward countenance shows that they're a happy person. A.W. Tozer wrote this. No man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. He should spend his efforts in seeking to know and do the will of God, leaving to Christ the matter of how happy he should be. You know, our problem is that we pursue happiness as the main goal in life, and we miss the real main goal. That is to glorify God and enjoy Him. And think about how much happier we would be if we weren't striving to achieve happiness. We were just concerned about glorifying God and enjoying Him. How truly happy we would be. Oh, beloved, Solomon, the wisest man on earth, wrote in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 20, Whoso trusteth in the Lord, Happy is he. I believe that. And I refuse to be put in a box. Like, oh, you got to act this way, otherwise you're miserable. Well, you don't really know what's inside of me. I don't know what's inside of you. But I know this. I want to know God's will and I want to do God's will. And I want to glorify God who bought me with a price. Our text raised three questions about true happiness. What does it mean to be happy? How can I obtain true happiness? Have I considered and contemplated the lives of prominent Bible characters as I evaluate true happiness? May God give you grace in your time here on this earth. And may He grant to you true happiness.